Welcome to the Savage Leader Podcast, where I interview leaders from all walks of life so that you can walk away with tips to apply to your life and your career. But this isn't your traditional leadership podcast, because I believe that leadership tips come from successful entrepreneurs and business executives, of course, but they also come from unexpected places, like from Navy SEALs, successful professional athletes, sports coaches, musicians, entertainers, and more. So let's dive right in to today's episode. My hope is you walk away with something tangible that you can apply immediately to your life and your career. Today's guest on the Savage Leader podcast is Emily Watkins. Emily is the regional principal at Unispace, a company that's revolutionizing the creation of the workplace. She also held senior real estate roles at companies like Gap, Charlotte Roos, and JLL. Emily, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Darren. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you as well. So can you talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing at Unispace? Yeah, absolutely. So Unispace has actually completely revolutionized the way we create physical space for the workplace. And so what I mean by that is traditionally the process has been sort of very lengthy and cumbersome in terms of organizations getting into commercial space, whether that is hiring an architect bidding out to contractors, identifying your programming and strategy for what your space should look like. And it's actually also kind of ripe for a lot of finger pointing in terms of, you know, oh, that's the architect's fault. Oh, that's the contractor's fault. And so what Unispace has done is really come in and integrated all of the workplace strategy, the architectural design, and the construction so that it's actually more of an iterative approach as opposed to kind of more of a waterfall approach. Yeah, it's such an interesting time to even have this conversation because of so much which is happening in the marketplace with the shift to work from home and now more of a hybrid model. And then just things seem to be changing day to day. So what trends are you seeing in terms of how companies are handling remote versus in-person workers? Like, what are you seeing on the street? So, I mean, it's pretty significant. There's a lot of change going on right now. And you have companies on a lot of different parts of the spectrum, where you have some organizations that have just been sort of really out there in terms of being forward-looking about thinking about abandoning the office. So you've got kind of that whole group on one side of the spectrum. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who are kind of really skeptical around, oh, it's going to come back to business as usual and we need to do it as soon as possible. And then you've got sort of everybody in between, right? And so the spectrum and of these perspectives is just, it's so broad right now. And I think that it's, it's probably not going to settle for quite some time. So some things that we're seeing And I'll I'll give you just kind of a little bit of background on where space and physical space as it can support organizations and support their workforces has come, is we went from like, oh, everybody's in an office to, oh, everybody's in a sea of cubicles. And the reality is that, especially given sort of millennials and Gen Zers in the workforce these days, these people have figured out actually how to work through their device. And because of that, this whole concept of, oh no, now you need to have collaboration space and now you need to have learning space and then you need to have heads down focus space. 
The true reality is that over the past few years, we've seen that a lot of workers have been able to work differently remotely as well as in person. And so that concept of having like a very distinct layout within your space where people go to a certain place in order to do a certain function has evolved a little bit more toward truly focusing on actual business outcomes. And so what we're seeing is the ability to create flexible environments for your organization is what people need to do in order to actually handle this hybrid environment. So one, it's flexible workspace. So even, and I mean like literally physically, the ability to actually expand and contract different spaces within your actual physical space, doing that on the one hand. And the other one is actually kind of taking your real estate portfolio and adopting things like work from anywhere solutions where instead of actually leasing all of your office space, you lease a much smaller portion of office space. And now you actually enable your employees to work from different environments, whether it is co-working, whether it's serviced office, whether it's literally just going and booking conference rooms for a half a day. So that type of thing kind of coupled with using the space differently, it's just created this massive shift in how we think about workspace. Yeah, I remember in the late 90s, this will date myself a little bit, but as an analyst at Accenture right out of college, having the just-in-time workspaces, I always appreciated coming in on a weekend and being able to select the partner's office that had this beautiful view over the San Francisco Bay, which is fantastic. But just seeing how that's evolved over time is is fascinating. Can you provide a, a tangible example, obviously, without naming the company about what a company is doing in terms of reconfiguring around some of those collaboration spaces and more flexibility? Yeah, definitely. So one client that we have right now is in the middle of actually building out space that has much more capability to evolve transition. So like picture tracking in the ceiling and big panels that are either whiteboards or different types of heavy curtaining, whatever that might mean. They've got like this different way of actually designating space as opposed to building out full walls. So for example, and this is a professional services firm, if they have a Friday where they've got massive people coming into the office who literally like want to be on their phones and want to actually have a station, they can expand the area where they have people seated, right? But then during the week, if they've got more kind of client conversations or things like that happening, they just can slide these these panels over and create bigger areas within their collaboration space or within their meeting space. So that's like a really specific example of how you can create a more flexible environment because you have to really think about what is it that your employees need to be most productive so that they don't spend, you know, the first 20 minutes of a meeting trying to figure out where to sit down, where to get connected, you know, oh, I don't have this room, I do have this room. So that's an example of the actual space that we're seeing and an example of how organizations are starting to manage that is putting in place different types of technology solutions that can actually help employees kind of quickly sign up for what type of space that they need so that they can keep it sort of open desking. But what about from a people perspective? Obviously, that's a pretty big shift in terms of just managing people who can come in, how they're booking them using different technologies. But what about from a management people perspective? What are you seeing in terms of what companies and leaders are doing? Yeah. So it's a great question because 
the corporate real estate leaders have never been more connected in to the chief HR officer. And what we see a lot happening within our clients is they're working hand in hand with the chief HR officer in terms of creating policy and identifying kind of how they can better support employees. So it's so interesting to me because I kind of correlate this to some of my background. I started my career in retail, in you know construction and architecture and real estate for retail. And so when you're thinking about those retail spaces, you're immediately thinking about the experience that you're creating for the customer. Well, office for so many years has been kind of like this captive audience, right? Where people had to go into the office. They didn't have another choice. So it was now you have a situation where you don't need to have a captive audience. So you have to think completely differently about how to engage your workforce. So a lot of this is incorporating the chief HR officer, chief experience officers, really starting to think about what are the implications about how I need to be engaging my workforce so that they actually want to come into my spaces and collaborate with their peers. And so that's a very different situation that is just requiring organizations to build really different capabilities. And if they hadn't been 150% focused on brand, they need to be now because that is really what starts to create a culture and create an environment where your employees actually want to come engage with you and want to come engage with your spaces. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the employee value proposition. So it's not just how we project our brand externally, but it's about that internal piece in terms of so that we can recruit, engage, and retain employees. Exactly. And it has to be focused on the same thing that you're leveraging to think about how you're engaging your customers, right? So whatever business you're in, in order to truly sort of create a positive culture, you have to have something that people can kind of hold on to. And that really has been brand. And seeing organizations that do this successfully, they focus first on their brand and really engaging their employees to create the right experience that is attracting their customers. So when you can do this seamlessly, you have engaged employees who are truly focused on, you know, exactly how to engage your customers. So what else in terms of what companies are doing in terms of that piece, in terms of new compensation models, new recruitment models, like what are you seeing in terms of from that people perspective, what's happening? Yeah, I think this is one to watch because it will continue to evolve. So I definitely think there's conversation happening about where people need to be, right? And you see it all over the place. Spotify just announced that they are going to be 100% employee choice on where employees work. That's a lot of people that work for that company that now have complete choice about where they work. They're not going to dictate any kind of policy. So you have some of these things out there that are truly attracting talent to those companies because of the fact that they are creating such flexibility. So that I think is changing the story a lot. And it's giving the employee a lot more of an ability to actually kind of have choice 
in what's going to be best for them. So what that means is that a lot of organizations are now having to kind of help employees, not necessarily about putting in place really prescriptive models about how they need to work, but they actually need to give them the opportunity to kind of leverage different types of what we in the business like to call kind of personas about how you're using space and how you're engaging in with your organization. It's also kind of creating a new paradigm for managers to have to think about how do I engage with employees who are not physically next to me? And I think, you know, a lot of companies who have implemented remote models have identified kind of how to do this remotely. And they're going to have a bit of a leg up on this because it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do when people aren't just sitting there. You have to actually spend the time to kind of schedule it into your day as a manager to check in with your employees and identify kind of what's going on with them and how they're doing. So it's creating new models that HR organizations are needing to figure out how to help their broader management set and their leaders kind of, you know, move, you know, evolve their own management styles. That's really interesting because I think, in a virtual environment, I think the best leaders, the best managers are still going to thrive because they have strong communication skills. But it's tough when that person's not sitting next to you. They're not that captive audience, as you mentioned. It can be a real challenge for leaders to adapt. But I'd be curious in terms of what are you seeing in terms of some of the training and development opportunities that companies are implementing to adapt to this new model? But also, I'm just curious about when you're not prescriptive at all, what does that imply from a collaboration perspective? Because you could have random people in the office. You have people, some are in-person, some are virtual. How do you make the playing field equal? So that's two questions. So maybe take those separately, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I think leveraging technology is one way that a lot of organizations are starting to kind of figure this out. And I think that's actually really important because you have to be able to capture the data about what your employees are doing in order to really be able to modify your approaches and be able to make sure that you're helping. So there's a lot of different apps that are out there now about how to kind of manage that both the logistics of kind of post-COVID getting everybody back into the office, but as well as how do I leverage understanding about how my employees are connecting with each other and using my own company's space in order to be successful. And so I think that's going to continue like really making sure that that data is available and that we're actually capturing that data. So I think that is going to be a whole new paradigm in how we actually can kind of tap into our organizations and help our organizations. So I think that's a big one. And then in terms of like what different types of policies and things like that, that either HR organizations are putting in place, I think one of the big sort of focuses is really kind of focusing on change management as a way to make sure that you're actually making it real. And so what I mean by that is a lot of organizations say like, oh yeah, we did our change management. We had a communication plan. Like, well, You have to engage people. You have to physically engage people in conversation. And I don't mean physically necessarily always in person, but you have to actually tap into people in order to kind of capture their feedback and get them to start talking and provide dialogue about what's working and what isn't working in order to make it real. People really want that authenticity. They want to know that their organizations care about them, care about the experience that they're having. And so 
really putting in place a true change management program to kind of get people through these different levels of how they're going to work going forward is I think what we're seeing be really successful because then people truly can see that they had a say. So a lot of things like town halls that are happening, you know, where people have an ability to kind of submit thoughts and ideas and questions and see that the organization is actually responding to those is is really important and doing it in a lot of different media, right? Whether you do in-person, whether you do remote, whether you're allowing people to kind of submit questions in an online forum that's then visible to everybody, like just creating more authenticity and engagement with employees has got to happen in order to make sure that people are going to be successful. Yeah, it's interesting. I find co-creation to be such an important piece, whether it's developing a strategy to get buy-in, or in this case, if you're creating just radically different employee and working models. So it makes me think of almost what you're talking about, of, of some terms around design thinking, you know, how companies use empathy to reach out to their customers to better understand what those pain points are. It looks like, sounds like what you're talking about is applying that internally, understanding what people are concerned about, how to develop new models that address those concerns. Absolutely. And I think companies are often very good at doing this with their customers, but not necessarily applying it to their internal teams, right? Because it's, you know, you you just don't think, oh, I've got to capture that now. But when the role of the employee shifts from being required to be in the office from a certain time frame to not required and they can go where they need to be according to kind of what's you know going to drive their own productivity that's where you have to really focus on the employee experience and i think the companies that do it successfully believe that the employee experience is just as important as the customer experience because the employee experience is also what is going to deliver the best customer experience. And especially just with the rise of the millennials and the Gen Zs in terms of purpose and they want to work for a company that makes a difference in the world. It's absolutely that much more important now than ever. Yeah. So sustainability is another trend that's coming up that's been around forever, but now it's evolved. I mean, there's so many other pieces related to creating a sustainable environment and your brand showing up in a sustainable way for your employees that then kind of can manifest itself onto your customers, right? So obviously beyond kind of the typical safety features that employees want to see, like, you know, touchless, right? So not having to kind of touch doors to go into restrooms or, or that sort of thing to touchless faucets, to touchless elevators. So that's a kind of a, a trend that's manifesting itself into physical space that's becoming really important around making sure that wellness is a part of that sustainability conversation. Interesting. Another topic you talked about, about collaboration. So what are companies doing? Because obviously that's so important, especially when there's so much disruption out there. We, we need to really tap into collaboration to create breakthrough products that can deliver on marketplace needs. What are companies doing to ensure that, given that companies like Spotify are giving 100% choice to their employees? Exactly. I think having the right technology tools to properly engage the hybrid or remote teams is huge. And that also kind of manifesting itself into the physical space. So organizations are are really focused on how do I create environments that drive more innovation? So that might mean that they have more kind of kind of full experience immersion rooms where you know you have a whole wall that could be all digital 
and you have a lot of different panels. You can bring different teams in depending on where they are, where they exist, leveraging different types of online collaboration tools. You know, Miro boards are a great example of that, where you can actually utilize an online tool, but you can also have teams that are sort of together in person that can be working on different parts of the same type of solution. So those are technologies that you can actually sort of implement in a physical environment. So people can still sort of be connected in with what's happening and not necessarily feel like they're outside of the group. If you have a handful of people together in a room and then you have multiple people tapped in, you know, that are remote. So I think technology is going to be really critical for that and really important. How some of this manifests itself into the physical environment that we're doing is in things like creating those immersion rooms or creating different types of environments that allow people to kind of go into a space and either focus on driving creativity, right? It needs to be bigger. It needs to be colorful. You need to have great lighting, right? As opposed to a space that's going to be more conducive for, you know, a group that is actually kind of having a meeting at a table. So I think this kind of concept of thinking about how you incorporate technology into these different types of physical spaces is going to be really important going forward. So as you're describing these different setups, these all digital walls, I'm sure a lot of people may be thinking, well, that seems more like technology companies, Silicon Valley, these leading edge organizations. What are some things that maybe some smaller organizations, perhaps some that are not out in front as much in terms of what can they do? What should they be doing? Yeah. So coming into a huge space with a full wall of, you know, some kind of fancy digital technology that's not so hard as it used to be, right? I mean, the idea of just putting a bunch of monitors on a wall, that's actually a lot more doable than it used to be. And because the actual technology that you can implement in those types of environments, there's so much of that now. So many people kind of coming up with new solutions for virtual work and virtual models that it's actually a lot easier than you think. You don't have to be a big technology company that, you know, has incredibly big budgets in order to implement these types of solutions. And we actually have seen it. You know, we see it with a lot of smaller organizations who actually want to create these types of environments so that they can really make sure that their people are being productive. So it isn't just for those people that have the really big budgets anymore. No, that's good. I think accessibility is really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to go back to something you said earlier in terms of managing to outcomes. Can you talk about that and what companies are doing to actually do that? Yeah. So the idea of instead of being focused on what we used to say were sort of like the personas of your organization, right? I have accounting that needs to focus 100% on I have a desktop and I'm, you know, 100% with my eyes in it, right? So instead of sort of saying, this is a back office function versus this is a, you know, sales facing function. Now the focus is a lot more on the work that needs to get done. So if it is related to kind of business goals, then you can really figure out, okay, if this is an organization that has more sort of project-related work where they've got six-week sprints versus instead of just looking at an actual function and saying, therefore, that person needs their own desk, 
that is what kind of gets you to sort of shift the conversation. So there's still a lot of organizations out there that believe in kind of this one-to-one model where I have one individual that has their own desk. But as companies have gone through COVID and they've seen their real estate assets sitting empty and they've calculated how much they're spending on those assets on an annualized basis, they're starting to realize that there can be a different way to look at this, right? So instead of focusing on this is what an individual does for eight hours of the day, it's saying what are the goals of that organization over the quarter, right? And so it's really kind of just shifting the way you think about this in order to make people more productive and focus on what they're trying to achieve as opposed to what their job description looks like. Which is that much more important, especially if the people are not sitting right in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. So really being more kind of goal oriented on what you're trying to accomplish as a business. So what are some of the implications? This whole next normal, perhaps, in terms of what's going to happen moving forward, it's smaller commercial spaces, it's, it's more agility. What should companies be doing or thinking about to adjust to that next normal? Yeah, so we see companies really looking at their whole portfolio. And remember, real estate portfolios, you know, they have often longer term leases that they have to be thinking about. So I don't think you're going to see all of this manifest itself for probably another five to seven years as organizations kind of get through their leases of their portfolios. But there is a big focus on portfolio optimization right now. So how do I look at all of the space that I inhabit? How do I lay that according to kind of where my employees live and according to kind of the work that they need to get done? So there has been a significant shift in thinking about that. In the past, it used to be, oh, I need an office if I've got, you know, a new project or I've got a business extension or something that's going on in a particular area. And that's really no longer necessary. There's so many different models out there where you can leverage space that isn't necessarily your own lease space. And what that is allowing organizations to do is kind of cut their portfolios in some cases up to, you know, 40%, sometimes more, but it's allowing organizations to cut their portfolios and then reinvest in the spaces that they want to keep in order to truly make them more engaging and more enticing for employees to kind of come in and interact with each other. And so that's actually kind of, it's, it's freed up a lot of capital for organizations to rethink that. You know, the other thing that is, is happening is organizations are implementing these work from anywhere solutions that let them leverage space that is not necessarily their own. So that in and of itself is creating kind of more management that needs to take place. And so doing that in a way where organizations can see what their employees are doing has become more and more important. Yeah, I think to most people, at least if they're being honest, I wonder actually how many companies actually had a pandemic as part of their risk management strategy, but that's a topic for a different day. But it's interesting that you almost need to take that same approach now to real estate because what you're describing is something very different five to seven years out than what we have now or what we had in the last few years. So what should companies be doing in terms of thinking about that real estate assets from a risk management perspective? Yeah, it's a good question. And We see kind of some looking in more conservative ways, and then we see some people being really aggressive and saying, you know what, I'm going to cut half of my space and I'm going to go, you know, to the other side of the spectrum. And then I'm going to learn 
from my employees sort of what they want and how they're working and how successful they are over the next, you know, 12, 24 months. And then I'm going to make other decisions to determine whether or not I sort of need to go back into space. So a lot of that is is what we're seeing happening right now. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch because I know organizations have had business continuity plans in place, but those business continuity plans have been a lot more focused on like, oh, if there's a natural disaster and I have a big earthquake or I have whatever it might be, right? And then my plan is I'm going to relocate all my employees to this particular area. But there hasn't been any kind of planning that says, what happens if 100% of my organization needs to quickly become remote and then decides that they like it? <laughs> so, so that's exactly what we've just gone through, is we've gone through an exercise that has really proven to every organization across the globe that they can be productive in a remote environment. And that has been pretty new to a lot of organizations. And so now how do we react to that and find kind of like the right middle ground with identifying, do we want to have a hybrid model? You know, do we want to actually go a lot more along the route of like what Spotify did and said that I don't, you know, nobody has to come in unless they want to come in. So I think we're going to be in a really interesting learning environment over the next 12 to 24, maybe 36 months as we really figure this out. But I think the most important thing is for organizations to measure it. You know, they've got to make sure that they're tracking how is this working for people and not just, you know, a quick survey to identify if they're happy. It's they really need to measure how their employees are doing against their business goals, if they're being productive, what's helping them be productive, what's challenging them. And so getting kind of that data around this is, I think, going to be really, really critical in order to help support the conversation going forward. Data is always critical. And it's interesting to think about what's happening because it's, it seemed like this was only a conversation for bricks and mortars retail companies. And now it's really in the boardrooms of, of all organizations because they've had this just foundational shift what's happened in the last year. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love that analogy because I started my career in retail and I remember very clearly the big threat that our online business was posing to our physical business. And so retail really has a leg up on the rest of us, I think, because they've already gone through this massive shift where they have seen what being digital first really needs to be for their employees and for their customers. And so, you know, this idea that it isn't either or, it's all of it together. And so I think we can really kind of like look at some lessons learned from retail organizations and how they've pivoted to connect in with their customers the way we want to think about our employees. Because the reality is that the retail customer used to be the captive audience going into the physical space if they wanted to engage with that brand and they wanted to buy something. Well, it's been, what, 20 years now that they haven't had to do that. So it's a really good example of how a customer can engage with your brand and needs to have kind of a customer journey that literally starts digitally and probably ends digitally, but can leverage physical spaces kind of all the way in between. So that's something that's near and dear to my heart because I've seen it and, and, and I've lived it. And, you know, it's it, it was tough for retailers to shift and to think about how online and in-store can coexist successfully. Actually, I'd love to shift gears on that note. 
because it's, it's interesting is when I went to business school, everyone was going into real estate or transitioning into real estate. And then it became everyone's going into technology. And now I think real estate's sexy again. Just it's a lot of uh, excitement there and so much change and opportunity. I'd love just to hear a little bit about your career path and how you got into corporate real estate and what are some of the opportunities and what excites you most about it? Yeah, definitely. So I started my career actually with Gap Inc. on the project management side. So building out stores. That was actually how I started my career. At the time, Gap Inc. was building about 600 stores a year. So it was just this crazy growth. And we had a really large organization in San Francisco that was actually getting all of that done. So that's where I started my career. And I moved into real estate when I was at Gap shortly before I got my MBA. And when I moved into real estate, I was focused a little bit more on kind of asset management and portfolio management and process. And that's where I got really interested in how to create a more efficient process around developing your real estate. And that was kind of both on the store side as well as on the corporate side. So real estate for retail was pretty fascinating because it was really fast paced and it was a really critical component of the business because you're building the revenue spread, right? The sooner you can get that store open, the sooner it can start earning money for the organization. So it was a really, it was a great place to kind of learn the business and grow up in the business. And from there, I moved over to JLL and held a really exciting role within their occupier group, developing new products and services as their director of innovation. And that was so much fun because JLL's always been a thought leader around developing new technologies and new ideas to kind of help service their clients because they've always been such a kind of customer first organization. And then from there, I went back to retail and worked for Charlotte Roos for some of my mentors from Gap Inc. the first time around. And that was a lot of fun at a crazy time in the business, though, when the retail world was sort of continuing to really go downhill from a physical space perspective. And you needed to be so on top of what you're doing in your physical environment. And you really needed to be rethinking how you were strategizing around your locations because you know you had to incorporate the impacts to online that as an organization, we had never really done that before. So thinking about how a physical space can actually engage your customers in a way that can manifest itself into online business as well. So that was a really, really interesting time to be in that business. And then I went back to JLL. A lot of people that work at JLL end up going back. It's a really wonderful organization, but I went back there to help build out their flexible space products and their flexible space business. So I'm a good example of it's not just brokerage, Right. It's not just transactions that need to get done within a corporate real estate environment. There's so many different facets of that world that are exciting and engaging. And more and more, when you think about corporate real estate and office environments, they are really focused on the experience that you're trying to create for your employees because they are a great catalyst for attracting and retaining talent. Sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of diversity in terms of the roles that you've had. Yes, yes, definitely. I've never been bored. I'll put it to you that way. So what advice would you have for people? People who think, wow, that sounds really exciting. They want to get into this new line of work. What career tips would you give them? I would say get involved with different organizations that are out there. Cornet from a commercial real estate perspective, as you look at occupiers in office, 
I think ICSC in terms of on the retail real estate side, there's great organizations that are doing really, really good work and developing thought leadership around where the industry is going. I think that's a terrific way to learn. I think take a class, reach out to people to kind of, you know, pick their brain, expand your network and really put out there, you know, who you're interested in connecting with and learning from and get specific, right? So I want to talk to people that work at these specific companies so that I can learn more about this business. I have found that people in corporate real estate are really wonderfully, incredibly talented people and they want to help and they want to engage and they're really interested in mentoring people and in talking to people and in engaging people. There's a lot of different facets to this business. And so I think there's a, there's definitely a lot to learn, especially when you also then think about operating these spaces and what it takes to actually focus on making a facility successful, facility management and property management, both on the landlord side as well as on the occupier side. So there's a lot of different facets to it, which I think is really exciting. And it's a really great space to be in right now because it is absolutely in the midst of disruption. And I always love to run to disruption because I think it's a lot of fun. It's really interesting. It requires that you have big thinking and that you get excited about doing something that could be very different every day. Yeah, great advice. And just one point I think is really interesting is just this idea of mentorship in that it's really an honor to actually mentor other people. And I know when people have reached out in the past, hey, I'd love some advice. I'm flattered and humbled and I'm happy to give my time. I agree. And I think that we have a lot to learn from people who are asking us to mentor them as well. And I've always liked that mentality. When I was really young in my career, a woman that mentored me said, I expect to learn from you too. And I, I thought, really? How, what are you going to learn from me? <laughs> you know. But I think that's more important now than ever. I mean, think about you know younger people who are digital natives and how those digital natives can really help us think differently about being digital first. That's a huge agenda that's kind of like on every organization's list of, of thinking right now. And a lot of that can kind of be accomplished through these different types of mentorship programs where you know, you're learning from a younger generation that just has a different perspective. Yeah, what a great example. Yeah, I think reverse mentoring is so important. I know a few of my mentors, someone that mentored me, also looked for me in that similar way, and I was blown away. But also another gentleman that I was mentoring, he's been incredibly helpful to me over the years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Emily, I know you're really busy. I really appreciate your time with some fabulous insights. So thanks for coming on. Of course. Always happy to. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast. My hope is you are walking away with tactics that you can apply to become a better leader in your life and in your career. If you're looking for additional insight and tactics, be sure to check out my book titled The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would truly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also rate the podcast. Thanks and see you all in the next episode.